Hello, and welcome to the Leadership to Wealth podcast. I'm Neil D'Souza, your host, and I'm here to let you know that we are slightly changing our format. We are taking the most high-value moments of each conversation we have on the podcast and putting those into the audio version, which you're about to hear. You can get the entire conversation on our Leadership to Wealth YouTube page. So you can catch the rest there when you go and subscribe. Thanks for being a listener of Leadership to Wealth and enjoy this episode. Hey guys, welcome to the Leadership to Wealth podcast. On today's episode, we've got a real estate investor, trainer. We get into talking about real estate investing, how to be a better salesperson, and how to hone in on your audience. Today on the show, Luke Andrews. Luke, uh, thanks for joining us today. Man, I am so excited to be here. Really appreciate you having me. So, so Luke, you you are um, you know you're a sales professional. You're in real estate. You've taught people. You've taught teams uh, how to grow, how to sell, how to uh, build, and and you've been doing this for a while. What is it about this area that you that you love uh, teaching about this space? And how did you get into it in the first place? Sure. Um, so getting into to real estate, real estate investing, real estate teams, leadership, those things. Yeah. Um, I, I won't say that I fell into it, but I came into it somewhat accidentally. Um, so I was in the I was in the corporate world. I had a corporate nine to five. I was in strategic marketing and data analytics had a fantastic job, you know, that prototypical, you know, six figures and I've got bonuses and 401ks and PTO, all of those things that, that I had all of that stability. And my wife was a real estate agent and I'm commuting back and forth downtown. And one day she said, she was like, you know, if, if you were licensed, even part-time, she said, you could just stop on your way home from work and show houses. So she wouldn't have to go out during rush hour. And, and I thought, you know what, it, it actually does sound kind of interesting. It was a bit of a new challenge for me and we were just starting to get into real estate investing. And so I thought that might help us a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I went, I got my license. I was, you know, going to going to classes at night, taking tests, doing all those things. And I instantly fell in love with real estate. I mean, like it was just, it just scratched this entrepreneurial itch that I didn't even know was there. Right. Yes. And uh, immediately it's like, how can I do this full time? And so we sat down and we started putting this plan together and say, okay, over the next 24 months, how in the next two years can I transition out of this cushy, wonderful corporate job that's not fulfilling into this uh, scary, unknown entrepreneurial world of real estate sales? And it just so happened that, you know, her broker and team leader, uh, who I've known for, you know, since we were five years old, we, we played little league baseball together. Um, he was a phenomenal mentor to her. He was beginning to be a phenomenal mentor to me. And he was in a phase to where he was starting to really grow his team, make mm -hmm. it significantly larger. And fortunately, I had experience doing that in the corporate world. Uh, recruiting and growing talent, um, you know, uh, cultivating culture, those, those things there. And it, it just made a lot of sense. So we took that 24 month transition and we were actually able to do it in about 10 months. 
Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of sped up that timeline, jumped in. But I think what was key for us is that not only did we have that initial 24 month timeline to get transitioned over, we had a second 24 months baked in of, you know, what is our step-by-step -step plan as I'm trying to work my way back up to the income, replace what I had before. Yeah. Well, I, I got to ask this, this question. When you were in that corporate job, did you know that you wanted something else? Did, because you mentioned that once you, you know, once you looked into it, all of a sudden you realized, oh, the corporate job wasn't fulfilling. But did you know while you were doing the job? Yeah, yes and no, right? So it's it's this, I always knew that I was built for something more, um, but I kept thinking it was climbing the corporate ladder. And I kept thinking every time I got a promotion, every time I got a raise, every time I moved to a new department, got new responsibilities, I kept thinking that that would satisfy what was lacking. And it just, I kept climbing. I was doing really, really well. But it just wasn't fulfilling the way that I thought that it should be. Um, you know, I always had dreams of owning my own company, being my own boss. I didn't really know how to go about doing that. Um, but, you know, I, I grew up in a space where, you know, we didn't have a lot of we didn't have a lot of means growing up. And, you know, I had a lot of friends who who did come from money. And it seemed like all of their parents were business owners. And that's really mm -hmm. what I thought true success looked like was you had to own your own business. But there were also probably some limiting beliefs out there that said that I wasn't built for that. Now I could go through and I could climb a corporate ladder. I could excel in a path that someone else has already blazed. Um, but I didn't feel like I could go out and do that on my own mm -hmm. until I actually got out there and started doing it. Um, so it was just, it was a limiting belief on my side. Uh, and I know that was a long way to kind of answer your question. Um, but in the beginning, I knew I was built for something more, but I didn't know specifically that uh, I could go out and kind of create my own thing. And, and, and so what, what made it click? How did you know? You know, I, I think having the plan in place, um, and seeing steps along the way. I'm always, you know, sports references for sure. Um, I, cause I've, I grew up playing a lot of sports. I played college sports. Um, momentum is very real. And I would see that on, on the sports field. And now I'm starting to see that in business. So I knew I had to come in and find ways to just get little wins, right? I needed a couple of small wins on the front side that were going to propel me into larger wins. They were going to carry me through when ultimately things got tough, when the road got rocky. Um, and so I tried to set it up to where I had just little wins right off the bat to, to build that momentum and, and carry me through. And, and so trying to get those wins, was that more related to um, the, the ego, the mentality uh, to be able to do it? Or was that related to, we just need the win because we need the money? Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, it, uh, really, it, it was to both. Um, you know, we absolutely needed the money, but we had also, you know, as I mentioned, we put together this secondary 24-month plan, um, which included a lot of savings and knowing that we were going to be dipping into that in order to, to maintain a lifestyle. <clears throat> excuse me 
Um, but it was, it really was about, I, I needed to win. I needed to show myself that I could go out there and that I could do this, that I could be successful. Um, and sometimes you, you kind of have to manufacture that success. Uh, it, it's kind of like if you've got a to-do list that's out there and you write something on that to-do list that is so unbelievably simple, um, that you can just cross it off immediately just to kind of feel good, just to kind of jumpstart the rest of that list. That's really what, what I was doing. I was trying to manufacture momentum. Mm -hmm. I love that because the intricacy for a lot of people is sometimes you're just trying to make money and sometimes it's, it's this speed bump that you can't get over. And now you're trying to, teach people you show people how to increase their sales how to grow and do you find that uh, there's still a correlation between those two like almost like if i can help them make money then we'll be able to uh get them the over that mental speed bump or are there other things along the way that you're like we don't even need the money we can get through the mental speed bump you know, it, it's a that's a, a really interesting question, and and I think you are exactly right that people need those little wins on the front side. Um, so so recruiting and training and being responsible for the success of a lot of newly licensed real estate agents, um, I see that we need to get them in there and we need to get them some success right away because if it, it's very very easy to fall into this trap of you know, maybe this isn't for me or the leads aren't good or the processes aren't in place. The system's not there. What a, whatever it happens to be, we need to make sure that we can get them in there and get them some little win. Almost, we just basically just tee up something easy and simple for them on the front side um, just to show them that they're able to do it. Now, there's a fine balance there because you can't make it so easy um, and make it seem like that, you know, they don't actually have to work, that they just show up and uh, people just come banging down their door to help them buy or sell homes. Um, but at the same time, we have to make sure that we're setting them up for success on the front side so that they don't easily burn out, especially in an industry like this, where even if day one, you get somebody under contract, it still may be 30 to 45 days before you get a paycheck. Uh, so if we go two, three, four weeks before we get that first contract, then all of a sudden we're looking at three months before a paycheck and you never know how long somebody can actually sustain their lifestyle or be able to mentally sustain, you know, that, that type of, you know, quote unquote rejection. Right. Uh, that's interesting because a lot of people, I think when they start into the industry, oftentimes they'll start like you mentioned in a part-time nature, maybe keep a, a part-time job or, or something like that to be able to, uh, fund those three months, six months, mm -hmm. uh, whatever it sort of takes until it takes over and uh, replaces their income. And so that gives them a bit of buffer. But I hear this often. I just don't know what to do. I can't, I can't figure it out I, from realtors that are mm -hmm. like, I, I, I can't seem to get any sales. And especially right now here in Canada, we're seeing uh, a significant change in the market and there's been a significant slowdown for for the home sales what do you tell someone that or what do you teach someone that is in that situation and they're they just don't know what to do 
I think someone needs to come out and they need to make sure, especially when they're new to the industry, like you're talking about having a good mentor, a good coach, a good team around them. Um, now, a lot of new agents, they'll, they'll shy away from teams um, or they'll shy away from larger teams that provide a lot more resources um, simply because it's, if you've got a larger team that provides a lot of resources, there's a cost that's associated with that. And it's not always a hard cost up front of like, hey, you're going to pay $1,500 a month plus a portion of all your sales to be here. Um, but it's what we call a split, which essentially means every time that you sell a house, a portion goes to the team, a portion goes to you. Um, now, newer agents, I have found, they get distracted by the shiny, oh, well, I get to keep 80%. You're only going to take 20%. Um, whereas they look at a team like mine and they're like, well, we're going to split this 50, 50, you know, how does that work? They get distracted. They move over to that 80%, but realize that they're not getting the things that they need. They're not getting the mentorship. They're not learning how to, you know, anybody can learn how to write a contract, but how to actually become a business owner, you know, how to think like a business owner, how to run a business, how to actually get leads and actually have leads provided to you. So I'm trying to help people understand, especially in the beginning for the first couple of years of your business, focus on value, not on split, right? You need to focus on the value, not on the split, because 80% of four transactions a year that you can go out and find on your own or 50% of 20 transactions, you're still coming out significantly further ahead by taking the 50% of 20. And then I'm also a firm believer that those 20 transactions are going to put you at that much further ahead because you've seen so much more. You have so much more experience in a business like real estate or mortgage or insurance, any of those types of commodities, it's experience is measured in transactions, not in years, right? So, you know, here in Kentucky, in my market specifically, where the average agent is doing, you know, roughly eight deals per year. You know, if you come in in your first year and you do 24, which I've had several agents do that and, and far exceeding, I would venture to say that you've got three years worth of experience on the average agent that's out there. Yes. Um, and so we're just yes. trying to help you get to that level faster and get to a point where you can break out to an 80-20 and that it makes financial sense and that you can actually go out and do it. But in the beginning, you do need to learn and there is a cost associated with that. It's kind of like going out and hiring a coach. Nobody's going to do it for free. Yeah, no. Oh, my goodness. People so undervalue the getting the reps in. You know, we, we talked a little bit about football or, or uh, sports analogies. And, and being in the industry myself, a lot of people don't realize the value of the reps. Even if you're not making as much, being able to see multiple deals and being involved seeing the nuances being able to oh how did you uh, negotiate this how did you navigate this item seeing all of those items all builds your experience builds your confidence and um and i now i'm a big proponent for choosing a niche market when you're in sales mm -hmm. um, be because you really get good at knowing that knowing who your client, your customer is, and being able to uh, fulfill at a high level with a lot of quality. What do you think is a key for a new agent? Should they 
focus in on an area or is it really a good idea for them to get a breadth of knowledge diverse? So I, I, I would agree with you that there's absolutely riches in the niches, right? Um, however, for new agents, I found I, I let them kind of take a bit of a shotgun approach. Um, you know, we, we have a saying that if you're going to pick berries, we're going to pick them all. Um, and not just kind of pass over certain, certain leads. And I say that because I think one, you need to have some version of income before you can get to that niche provider. Um, because it's, it's going to take a little while to get up to that point. Um, but also I think there, I can't tell you how many agents that have come in and said, Oh, I want to be a luxury agent, or I want to be a commercial agent, or I want to work with investors, or I just want to work with young families, first time buyers. And they don't really understand what that means until they actually get in and do it. So this is, you know, it's kind of like sampling classes in college, right? Where you're just kind of sitting in a few to really get a good feel for what you might be interested in before you go and pick a major. Um, so you can kind of go through, you can get some examples of everything to really figure out what are you going to excel at? What are you going to enjoy as an agent? Um, and then start focusing on that niche once you're, you know, 9, 12, 24 months in the business. That. <laughs> That's great. I I will contrast that with a little bit of my story in that I I was I looked at it and I was like I do not know how to sell. I don't know how to get um, you know new clients, and I couldn't find that mentorship either. I was trying to look for brokers that could teach me these things, and I had one broker that that really taught me about this niche market which was hard money lending, uh, private mortgages. And he, and he said, look, you don't have to be good at sales at all. These are people that are looking for this and nobody likes it. So, um, <laughs> so as a result, they're going to come to you. I was like, well, that sounds great. And as a result, I, I found where everyone was going into these other areas, I was able to go into this area that I really had no, sales skill. I came from the federal government, so I didn't have some of the training that you're talking about, but I did, I was a real estate investor. So I understood some of the numbers behind everything. And so I was able to like a, with a fire hose, you know, there's so many of these deals out yeah. there that I got a chance to get the reps in to start to understand what it looks like to start to understand the client and the customer base and, um, and so that was beneficial for me. Sure. But, but I, but I'm also resonating on the other side with what you're saying. You need to sort, you need to get a breath. You need to do a shotgun figure, especially where you are helping these, these new agents with the actual referrals. And I think in what what I'm hearing from your story is I think it may have been a shade different with you because you came in as a real estate investor. So you did you under you understood that world. You understood how to talk to those people. And that was already an area that, that you were interested in. And I, th I think that's phenomenal. If somebody comes in and they have some of that experience, I, I think that's that's fantastic. And we can try to drive them to that niche sooner because I think every agent for the most part, ultimately kind of ends up 
you know, specializing. It may not be the only thing that they do, but they ultimately end up specializing. It's just how quickly can we get them to that point? And my, my whole goal is I want to make sure that if you're brand new and don't know anything about anything, that you get a chance to kind of see a few different areas to really figure out what are you going to be passionate about? Because it's that passion that's going to keep you going when the market slows down. Yes. Um, yes. Which ultimately going to do. Um, but you've got to have that passion, that burning desire. It's going to keep you getting up every morning, your feet hitting the floor as soon as that alarm goes off and just ready to go out and tackle that day. Wow. I, I think that's so powerful because when you said earlier, you mentioned about uh, burnout and I thought to myself, well, I don't really believe in burnout unless you lose uh, what you're focused on. You lose what you're present to, the your power, your commitment the reason that you're doing what you're doing the moment you lose that it becomes very easy to get burnt out you're doing transactions people are always wanting things of you i always got to do this and and it just becomes this fight and everything becomes hard whereas what you just talked about if you know what you love in that if you know that what you're passionate about there then you find a way to keep going through whatever difficulties there may be out there. And what I can tell you too, in my experience is, and money doesn't even solve that burnout piece. That, oh, come on, come on, Luke, speak about oh, this. Oh, it, it, it'll help. <laughs> it'll keep you going a lot longer than it probably should. But at a certain point, you're going to look back and you're going to realize, I am just damn miserable every single day. There is no sense in continuing to do this. I don't care how good the money is. And that's where I was from a, a corporate job. It's like every time I would go to leave, I'd get up the courage to go tell my boss like, hey, this is my notice. This isn't working for me any longer. They would offer me a promotion or a raise. And it was always just enough to keep me around. And it would, it would keep me satisfied and pacified for just a little amounts of time until I was just realizing that I'm not happy here and I need to go look for something else. But then they'd give me a little bit more. They'd dangle that carrot just a little bit. Um, and I realized that I was kind of in like this stair step motion of going up just little bits at a time when what I really needed was somewhere where I could take control of my own destiny and have that what we call the hockey stick growth, where it just goes straight up. Um, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that everybody that gets into real estate or everybody that follows their passion is going to have that hockey stick growth, but you at least like to have that opportunity. That doesn't mm -hmm. really exist in the corporate world. You're not typically going to jump from, you know, level C to level R. You know, whereas you can do that in the real estate space. I've seen a lot of agents who have come in in a market like mine where, you know, our average sales price is 250000 or actually just below and having agents that are making 200000 in in gross commissions in their first full year in the business, like who have never been agents before coming in, making 200000 in GCI in their first full year in a market like this. Um, and it's just because they've gone out and they've busted their butt for it. They've taken advantage of the opportunities. Um, but that opportunity is there where it wouldn't necessarily be when they're out in the corporate world. Right, right. That, that is a, a great point because when people are out there and they're, they're not sure what they're doing, they're not sure why they're doing it. Uh, money can be a good start, but it will never sustain you over time it, it can buy you a nice stuff it can give you some stability at home but at, at the end of the day it it does not drive your happiness 
and uh, and I think people find that at some point, once they reach, once you reach a certain point, you get there and you realize, oh man, money isn't. I, I heard a great analogy, and maybe you could speak to this. Uh, uh, he said, this gentleman said, um, it's it, money is probably not even in your top five, and he said. If if I gave you a billion dollars, but you have to die tomorrow, which would you want? Okay, so uh, so life is more important than money. Okay, what if I gave you you know a billion dollars, uh, but you were gonna be uh, sick and ailing for the rest of your life? Okay, so then health is more important. Okay, what happens if I gave you that money, but your mother or father, someone that you love, has to die? Oh, so relationships, you know, and and you start realizing that uh, all of these other things are actually more important. Not that money doesn't have a place, sure, but all of these other things are really play a high value for each one of us, and we need to be present in that when we're when we're out there uh, making making the bank. What, what would you say to that? You hit the nail on the head, and I had never heard that analogy before, but that was phenomenal. That is something that I, I am going to start using on a regular basis because that is, it's so incredible. And you know what? What the crazy thing is is that when I realized that money wasn't the driver of happiness, money wasn't the driver that I was looking for, and I put money completely on the back burner, I started making a heck of a lot more of it. I mean, it, it's just it's insane when you. Just, it, it's weird because it's, it's normally, you know, what you focus on expands. Um, but when I stopped focusing on the money and really what I wanted and started focusing on what I wanted the money for, you know, to be able to buy back time, to be able to buy back health, time with my family, all of those things, um, I started making significantly more. I mean, which is just, yeah. it, it's counterintuitive, but it, it absolutely works. I've seen it work with so many people. Yeah. I, you know, I used to think it was counterintuitive uh, before until I realized that when you're focused in on those things, the people that you come in contact with recognize it. They, they become present to what you're present to. And if you're focused on time, if you're focused on family, then your clients are going to resonate with that. And and immediately there there these synergies start to happen right because rather than feeling like um a loaf of bread <laughs> you're you're just going to make some money off of this person you're you're trying to create this transaction now you're talking in a way that is that resonates for them hey is this going to work for your family is this going to work for you know how is that going to do for uh your your livelihood will it affect? Oh, you know, you might be too far away from uh, from your job, and as a result, you're not going to be able to get back. All of these things start becoming the the conversation rather than the price, because in the absence of value, then the only thing left to talk about is is the price. Oh, that's uh, that that is amazing. That is extremely well put. So, I so I gotta ask this because. Are, have you found now that uh, as you're talking with people, you, you just ha actually have more fun with helping them and, and building whatever that dream is 
and not not that the money isn't nice. It's nice to see whatever results come. But literally, you you get more excited about getting getting that deal for the person or helping them fulfill on whatever it is they want to do. Are you there now? I I, I am, and it's you know you you start kind of. You're, you're moving towards those those moments or wins for your clients. Um, and in my case, for my agents that that I lead and mentor. And it's I, I find myself laughing a lot more at work. Uh, I find myself smiling a lot more. I find myself, you know, I never want to say that I'm, I'm making light of someone, you know, the largest financial purchase that, that they're going to make. But at the same time, you know, trying to find you know, try to try to lighten up the mood as as we're going through that and helping them realize that this is this should be a a fun process. You know, mm-hmm. this is an exciting process. That this isn't just your largest financial investment. This is this is where you're going to raise your children. This is where you're you know you're going to have all of these amazing experiences mm-hmm. and trying to help them get to that point. And it it has made it so much more fun at work. It removes that burnout. And lo and behold, it helps me make more money. <laughs> like not even thinking about it. It, it just, it's this correlation it is insane. Yes. 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 When you, when all you do is focus on money, everybody else can smell that off of you as well. So uh, it goes back to focusing on value, not on split if I think about it, if I stop thinking about each individual client of how much I'm going to make on that client and start focusing on the value that I can provide them, it just makes everything that that much better. And oh, by the way, their experience was better. So they tend to send more referrals, which just increases the revenue down the road. Okay. So let, let me let me switch gears here and and, and go back to you know helping people that are trying to build their sales. Cause Everyone is terrified of sales. Why is that such a big issue? And how do you tackle that for someone, whether they're starting out or whether they're a seasoned uh, professional? There can be this this thing about sales. Oh, great. I've got to do it. Or mm-hmm. maybe maybe someone wants to get better at it because like I, I want to get better at sales. What do you what do you say about that? How do you how do you tell someone to get started? You know, so I, I try to help people realize, you know, let's let's try to identify what your fear really is. And most of the time, from what I found, especially newer agents, it's for lack of a better term, it's fear of looking stupid. They're afraid. They don't want to actually get on the phone with a prospect or go meet a prospect in person um, because they're afraid they're going to get asked a question that they don't know the answer to. So when I help them get comfortable with the phrase, you know what? That's a, that's a great question. I don't have the answer right now. Let me go do a little bit of research and I'll get right back to you. It makes it significantly simpler. Um, now, we obviously have lots of training and things that we can do um, so that those become fewer and further between. Um, but just, you know, most of the people that, you know, our buyers and sellers that we're working with, they don't fully know what we should know and what we shouldn't know right offhand. So it is okay to say, hey, you know, I I, I know 90%, but I really want to make sure that I'm 100% sure for you. Or I, I say a lot to be honest, because people will just ask me, they're like, well, hey, I live in this neighborhood. Uh, I got a four bed, two bath. What's my house worth? 
And I mean, you know, as well as I do, I, I can't just spit that information off, um, but I also can't say it that way. Um, so I just lean back on, hey, I'm a really analytical person and, you know, I've got a pretty solid idea, but I want to make sure that I'm trying to give you somewhat of an accurate number. Give me a few minutes. Let me just go just kind of dive into the numbers quickly um, mm. so that I can really show you what does the market look like today? Because it's, it's changing. It's not only different than it was six months ago. It's different than it was six weeks ago. Um, so mm. the market is changing on a regular basis. Let's look at the data today. Um, mm -hmm. But really what, what we're trying to do is we're just trying to help people get comfortable with interpersonal communication. If you can get better at interpersonal communication, your life becomes so much more simple. Um, sales get easier. Your relationships with your coworkers get easier. Your relationships at home with your friends, with your family, with just people that you're interacting with out in life, it gets better if we can improve those communication skills. And so we will work very specifically on making people more confident with their communication skills. And it starts with the one-to-one, -one, then it moves to a one-to-few. And if we can find ways to get them comfortable in a one-to-many platform, then life just gets so much simpler. And it's not just about real estate. It's not just about making sales. It's not just about making money. It's about improving all areas of their life. And if I can help do that, then I've done my role as a leader. It's not just, hey, can I help you go from 18 transactions to 24 transactions in the next 12 months. It's, can I make your life better in the way that you need it to be better? So if looking dumb is a fear for a, a new agent or someone new in, into sales, what would you say is your fear now at this stage in your life? Whew, well, you know, I gave up on fearing looking stupid a long time ago, just realizing that I'm going to look stupid in just about everything that I do. Uh, you know, my my big fears at this point are, I, I mean, to be like, I've actually gone to professionals and, and tried to talk about these things to really figure out kind of what what are my deep rooted fears and insecurities. And I have a deep rooted fear of mediocrity, of just being in the middle. You know what? If I'm a complete and utter failure, I can deal with that. I'm okay. If I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail spectacularly. If I'm going to be a great big success, I'm going to be a great big success. And that's okay. I just have this fear of just being just another guy who's just out there, just kind of living in, you know, the quote unquote grinding every single day just trying to eke by and make a living. I want to make a life and I am so afraid of being mediocre. And that's why I started tackling things like going on these podcasts. I'm trying to speak on more stages right now because that kind of stuff scares me. You know, public speaking, which I think is a common fear among the majority of people. I'm doing, trying to do those things that scare me, that, you know, help me get over those fears and then doing something that not a lot of others are doing. Um, again, trying to prevent myself from being mediocre. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've had some people share with me that uh, I can be intimidating. And one of the things that I shared with them, because I'm, I'm always uh, building on things, working, you know, I, I want to build bigger, better, you know, <laughs> all, yeah. all of this. And, and I shared with them, I said, 
every morning I wake up angry. And I don't know if you know that about me. And they were like, what? They're like, you're always so happy. And I was like, yeah, but I wake up angry every morning because I know that I didn't fulfill my potential yesterday. And I'm probably not going to do it again today. Mm. And, and it, there's something there every morning that I'm like, ah, oh, and so when you just said about that mediocrity piece and I was like, oh, I, I know that piece. Now I will say this, the moment I take the, sh the sheets off and I mm -hmm. get out of bed, it's gone. And yeah. I'm like, all right, let's go. And, and I am pretty happy uh, from then on, but but there is something underlying. And I don't know if that has to do with also coming from, you know, uh, a poor household. And, uh, you know, I, I love to share this. I, I didn't even have a pork chop. We never even tried pork chops until, <coughs> until I was about 18 years old. That was the first time I actually had an entire chop. And I was like, I saw one of my friends having one. I was like, you're going to eat the whole thing by yourself. <laughs> And uh, he was like, yeah, I was like, oh, wait, uh, yeah, I guess you can. Uh, yeah, I guess people do that. But I had grown up without. So it didn't even occur to me that I could at that point in time even afford to uh, to go get a pork chop for myself. So I think there's something there when you've come from a place without that drives you to want to uh achieve more and and just be better and be able to uh to grow know that you can grow every day can you say something about that and and mindset right now yeah i mean uh, you are exactly right that you know when you you come from areas without and trust me there were a lot who had it a lot worse than than i did um but it's it, it was always this this longing this wanting and so it just, it, it put me in this mindset of, I, I have to do better. I have to be better. I have to put myself in uncomfortable situations to prevent myself from being uncomfortable my entire life. Um, and so what I realized is I've, I have tried to find ways. I found that generally those who are most successful are those who are willing to be the most uncomfortable. Um, and sometimes that's, that's asking the question that others won't ask. It is, Asking the question, you know, the old sales tactic of asking for the clothes and then just shutting up and then just being very quiet. First one to talk loses, you know, and it it can be a very, very uncomfortable silence. Um, but if you can learn to live in that uncomfortability, it, it will push you past. Um, but I spent so long being uncomfortable that I'm willing to do it in little spurts now to make sure that I don't have to go through that again, to make sure that my kids don't have to go through that. Um, but then, you know, I, my over analytical brain gets in there and it's like, okay, well, I need to make sure that my kids are somewhat uncomfortable because I don't want them to just have such an easy life that they don't know what they're doing. And then now it's, I, I got to go back and it's like, okay, well now I overcorrect and I take away too much and then I feel bad. And so I give it back and, you know, I'm just, I'm just a come dad, on, Luke. Trying to do preach this. <laughs> <laughs> preach it, preach it. I love it. I, uh, you know, because I find that same thing. Yeah, I'm resonating with you completely. There are times where my my wife unfortunately has to deal with this, but we when when we were having our kids, we had this really nice house, and when we moved, I said I want us to have 
not as nice a house. And she couldn't understand. I, I was like, they have to, our kids have to have some sort of basis. Uh, their entire life can't be just living in these beautiful places. Like, let's sure. give them something here. Because then when we move, they'll be like, oh, wow, I like this house better um, than the last one. And uh, because they're never going to have to go through what my wife or I ever went through as as kids. And so you want to give them some sort of frame of reference. So I really love what you just shared there. And uh, that that really is inspiring to that you are every single day, you know, you're you're battling with you, you know, that mm -hmm. that side of you that that uh, sees the mediocrity that you could live into and you choose not to. And uh, I really thank you for that. L let me let me just ask you here, Luke, what's next? What's next for you? I know you just mentioned you're you're getting on more podcasts. You want to do more speaking. Um, what what's next for Luke Andrews? So there, there's a couple of things. So recently, it, it, I have enjoyed so much training, teaching, mentoring, and leading these young agents as they're getting into the business and understanding that there's not a lot of great education out there for them and especially not affordable education. So I've, I've tried to make it a mission to where I've gone through and I've created some courses of just some, some very basic things that aren't necessarily market specific, um, but just allows agents to be able to go out and to continue to learn and grow and build the skill sets that I've found to be uh, very important. Uh, so, for instance, working with investors or learning how to better effectively communicate or negotiate. So I've gone through and I've created some of those courses for agents. So that's been a big passion project that I have and it allows me to scale and reach significantly further. And like like you said, I'm just I'm trying to get on more stages because I'm deathly afraid of the public speaking side of it. Um, but I've also I never feel more alive than when I'm on a stage. Like Zooms yeah. are great and I'm doing this, but you know, sometimes in a Zoom, it's like, okay, I'm, you know, I become like R Ricky Bobby or something. It's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Um, but I feel so alive when I'm up on a stage and I just, I love the, the live energy of a, of a group and I'm trying to do that more. So I have a goal to be on 10 live stages in the upcoming year. Wow. I love it. I, I love it. That's it is a very interesting dynamic to speak publicly and live. And it's a very different dynamic to speak publicly, you know, online, pre-recorded or live. Uh, I find it's so interesting, the different mediums, and it forces you to improve your communication skills mm -hmm. in every single area and to be attentive to what are you trying to achieve? I'm with this person. Let's focus in on this person. Uh, you know, when you're on a large stage, you've got an entire audience to, yeah. to be. So, so are you afraid when you're on stage? Uh, wait, let me ask, have you been on stage yet? Uh, Neil, just, yeah. just to be, just to be kind to Luke, Luke, is it okay if we ask this other question? Or do you got to go? Yeah. Uh, oh. no, I've actually, I, uh, I could probably squeeze in 10 minutes. Okay. Yep. Okay. So we'll, we'll okay. cut it to five. So we'll, we'll make sure you add yes. it in five. All right. Great. Okay. Uh, okay. Great. So have you been on a stage before? First I have. Speaking yeah. Publicly? I've, yes. I've, I've been on a few, not, not nearly as many as, as I would like, not nearly as large of scale as I would like, 
Yes. Um, but yes, I, I have been on live stages. I've been up in front of uh, were, were you afraid that your zipper was open? Not really afraid that my zipper was open. Um, afraid that I'll I'll trip because I tend to I tend to pace when I when I think and and when I talk. Um, and so I'm I'm afraid that I'll trip. Um, there's there's lots of fears that are out there, but again, that's that's what keeps me keeps me sharp. Um, yeah. So I, I've told my kids several times. So I played. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to to play some college soccer, and I was I was a goalie, and so my kids would ask me, they were like, well, weren't, weren't you nervous being back there? And I said, well, yeah, absolutely. I was. And they said, well, does it get easier? Cause they're asking they're 13 and 10 and asking about their own sports. So like, does it get easier? Do the nerves go away? And I said, for you, I, I hope not. Because what I realized is that when I stopped being nervous is when I played the worst, that's when I slipped up. It's when I got comfortable. It's when I got cocky or arrogant. And I just, I, I didn't prepare the way that I should have. I wasn't focused the way that I should have. Um, and I ended up having my worst games when I wasn't nervous. So if I wasn't nervous before a game, I got nervous real quick thinking this isn't going to go well. Um, and so it's kind of the same thing with public speaking. It's I'm able to, uh, as I get older, that's my way of being competitive and kind of, kind of keeping those juices flowing. But um, it, it allows me I, I stay nervous, which keeps me sharp and keeps me prepared and focused. Because mm, I, yeah. I I spoke recently and it went very very poorly, um, and it's because I thought I was prepared, but I wasn't quite prepared for the audience that I had. Yes, and so it was horrendous. I mean, I knew within the first ninety seconds. I, I'm sure that they could tell that my face went white um, because I made a reference. I was speaking to high school kids and I made a reference. I was like, you know, what, what can I do here to get in touch with, with these kids? How can I get on their level? I'm 40 years old. And so it's like, how can I get on their level? I was like, hip hop music, all kids like hip hop music. And so I start with a quote from Jay-Z Now Jay-Z, he's like the godfather of hip hop. I mean, this guy is a legend. He is, he is the man. And, Jay-Z is apparently not popular with the high school kids anymore. And so they were immediately like, who? They're all laughing at me. And it is in that moment that it dawns on me that for the next hour, I'm going to be talking about song lyrics and how they relate to life from a song that came out before all of these kids were even born. So it's just like, I was like, oh my, what have I done? And I, I didn't have anything else prepared. So it's not like I could change it. And so right. I just had to go through and battle through this. And it was like, I thought yes. I was prepared, right? It was yes. like, I had, I had slides, I had everything written out. I had practiced and practiced, but I never stopped to think about my audience. And yes. it made me realize like, I will never be unprepared like that again. Ever. Right. Wow. I, and I really see the correlation as we, as we end off here, I really see the correlation between what you were talking about for, an agent that's new, you know, you have to know your audience. You have to know who you're talking to and be connected with them rather than worrying about your own money. And even for you now, as you're speaking on larger and larger stages, you're still recognizing that it's about knowing your audience and uh, connecting with them and being prepared to be able to connect with them. If people want to learn more, if they want to get this teaching, how can they, how can they find this? 
how can they find sure. you? Uh, my website is lukeandrews.us. Um, and they can go, they can, they can access books, they can access courses, they can find me on social through there. There's all kinds of links. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote a book recently that it was, I had seen so many new agents who were really struggling within their first 12 to 24 months and just burning out or coming out of the business because they just, they didn't understand how to make that transition. And they were all making very common mistakes and very easy mistakes to fix. And so I, I wrote a book about the, the six fatal flaws that agents are making that are killing their career. If anybody wants it, they can go download it for free. It's an ebook only. It's sixagentmistakes.com. And that's the number six, agentmistakes.com. They can go, they can download it 100% for free. Hopefully it will be beneficial to them. Wow. Love it. Love it. Uh, Luke, thank you so much. Uh, we know that you've got to go. You've got, uh, you've got another show to get on, but we really appreciate you coming on today and uh, sharing with us your, uh, your victories uh, and also your fears and insecurities too. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Luke. It's been awesome, man. I really appreciate you having me. This was a ton of fun. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Uh, Leadership to Wealth. Thanks, guys. We'll see you guys again next time. Take care.